Hello everybody, and welcome to the BearCast Media Bengals Recap Show. I am Justin Cashman, he is Preston Stober, and he is Alex Frank. Uh, so we're back, it's Monday, and... We uh, didn't lose! We, we didn't lose, but we'll give you that much, but uh, we are still a winless Bengals team through uh, three weeks. Wait, we play on the team? What's that? You said we're still a winless Bengals team, that means we play on the team. Well, so I'd say we are, well, we're, we're kind of like the extension of the team is what I'd say. <laughs> okay. is what I mean. We're, we're, we're rooting for the winless Bengals team. So there's a lot to unpack. Obviously, the Bengals had that tie on Sunday with the Philadelphia Eagles, 23 to 23 in overtime. So let's get into it. What are your initial reactions after watching our game on Sunday? <laughs> My initial reactions? Whew. Um, huh. Am I... I hope I don't offend anybody listening to this by saying that I would have rather the Bengals lose this game than tie the game. Because, okay, what are we what are, what are we playing, what are grown men doing playing a game that they work so hard to play for as far as a living is concerned to just to tie? You, you can't do anything with a tie. It's like, no, well, we didn't win, but we didn't lose. So what do you take away from it? You you learn so much. You learn so much from losses. You learn so much from wins. But you can't learn anything from a tie. Are there ties in college football, high school football? No. Are there ties in the NBA, NHL, MLB? No. Name uh, any other? Well, okay. Uh, in soccer, draw. Okay. Even that, I'm starting to question too. But like, okay, what are we doing? What are we depriving these players the opportunity to play to win the game? Didn't Herm Edwards said that in 2002? Fun fact, the team he coached for at the time, they stink. The Jets, I wish we played them next week. Yeah. Preston, what do, you, what do you have to say about uh, Go Sunday's ahead. performance? I, I, I got to collect all my thoughts. All Go right. ahead, Preston. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that the tie is like one of the more weird rules in the NFL, something that could be changed. I mean, it could very, you could very easily have one team win. Even if you want to have that first overtime that's played like a normal quarter, then why don't you just like play college football overtime rules if you want to in the second, third, fourth, third, just however so on. It seems like it'd just be so easy to figure out, uh, to get a winner out of a game. But no, you said it, you said it perfectly. A tie, it's just you don't know where, you're, where, you're, where you really stand after a tie. You know a loss, you know exactly where you stand to win, you know where you stand with a tie. You don't really know what's next. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's just confusing, I guess. It goes back to, you know, when the NCAA t- tournament was shut down or canceled because of COVID-19. Like, I understand that, but at the same time, like give these guys a chance to play. I mean, I, I excuse me. I think not playing is worse than losing. We can get into a whole conversation about this. I'm just saying. Look, the tie rule needs to go away. Yeah, I feel like just at the end of the day, you have to have a team that wins. And I understand that it's just kind of a weird when it comes to playoff time with a tie. It's just kind of you have to throw in all these factors. Oh well, I mean, with a tie, only you know you have to have this other team win. I mean. It's just kind of, I think to me, it's just kind of a weird rule. And like Zach Taylor said in his post-game press conference, he said, it sure as hell feels like we didn't win, you know, like, or sure, whatever. Yeah, I think he said it sure as hell feels like we didn't win. It's just like, it's such a weird thing because, I mean, it's basically almost as good as a loss in my eyes. Like, I remember watching the game, I was like, just Eagles, go ahead and kick the field goal and beat us. Just beat us, send us to 0-3, and then it's just like, I don't know, it was just such a back and forth. Both teams played poorly in overtime, and I don't know, but... I mean, that, was, that was me after Zach Ertz made that 30-yard catch. Yeah. I'm thinking they're going down the field and they're winning the game. But okay, like and then for, and then Joe Burrow, like I mean, he he kind of said the same thing, although he said it way better than Zach Taylor said. 
when Joe Burrow's like, to me, it's a loss. And it is. I mean, they, did you win the game? No. You tied. Well, what's there? I mean, what, what good is a tie? It doesn't do anything. But the, but, but, but the point of the matter is this, okay? We can talk about, you know, the fact that the Bengals didn't lose. Please. That's, that's being very, very technical. For 52 years, and I said this last week, this organization, you were here when we did a reaction show last week, this organization has never known how to win. And you can say, well, they went to two Super Bowls in a span of 10 years, or they won X amount of playoff games in their first 23 years of existence. That doesn't mean crap if you haven't won a championship. This organization is a losing organization. Period. They don't know how to win. They can do they can do so many things right. The play to Gio Bernard yesterday, 41 yards. Most teams, I guarantee you the Ravens, if they made that play, they'd score a touchdown on probably the next play or certainly certainly the play after that. Or they'd finish the drive with a touchdown. But no, the Bengals get to the four-yard line and they regress minus four yards because the play calling wasn't very good. Okay, what is what, when is there going to come a time when we say enough is enough? Like, there was a talk with the defense after the game at the Browns on Thursday, last week. Okay, great. The, de- the defense, by the way, played actually solid yesterday, for the most part. But when are we going to come to a point where we just say enough is enough? Where, when are we going to come to a point where we just say, okay, the penalty is inexcusable. Billy Price, false start from the four-yard line, inexcusable. Holding a penalty in overtime, inexcusable. When are we going to come to a point where what we work on in practice, or what we supposedly work on in practice, is going to translate into a game? That's what I'm wondering. When are we going to start to put it all together? And we've been asking ourselves when we're going to do this for 52 years, and we still haven't done it. Let me, I'll put it to you this way. 10 days in between games for the offensive line to at least make some adjustments, right? And what happened yesterday? How many times was Joe Burrow sacked? Eight. 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 He was sacked three times against the Browns, who I think have a better defense than than the Eagles. And you made Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and whoever else was, Derek Barnett, who was, uh, whoever was in on the action yesterday, they, you made them look like all pros. Congratulations. Billy Price on Fletcher Cox in overtime? Pfft. Yeah, that was a clown show. Okay, but the, but the point of the matter is, it's like, we played well enough to win yesterday, but we're not doing the necessary things to win. You know, we didn't talk about this before we came on the show. Randy Bullock had a kickoff out of bounds after the first touchdown. Guess what happened on the next Eagles drive? Scored that touchdown. Or they scored a touchdown on the drive where Randy Bullock kicked it out of bounds. Yeah, which, by the way... Right right before halftime. Yeah, which, by the way, the coverage by Darius Phillips on that touchdown... Whew! It was awful. It was was awful. But when are we going to come to a point where we say, you know what, we can't keep having these penalties, we can't keep shooting ourselves in the foot, when one thing goes well, we shoot ourselves in the foot. Like, isn't the whole point of success to have a little, you know, train, a river, so to speak, where one thing leads to another? But with this organization, it's simply not that. Forget that the Bengals tied yesterday. You can tell me, oh, Joe Burrow played great yesterday, which he did. Oh, the defense played solid yesterday, which they did. I can't even think about that because we shot ourselves in the dang foot and we've been doing this for 29 years. No, I completely agree with you. And it, it is, this is a third straight week that we've basically said the exact same things. You know, Burrow played well enough for us to win, but the offensive line did not give us a chance to even put Burrow in the position to go out and win us a game. And the defense did play a lot better than they did in the second week against the Browns. But they're just not doing the right things, and it all comes down to this coaching staff. This is probably one of the most pivotal parts of the season for any head coach because at this point right now, I think there's a lot of momentum 
for that fire Zach Taylor group coming. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it starts from the top down. I, I mean, if Zach Taylor, if he isn't putting Joe Burrow in the right position, if he's not hiring the right offensive line coach and Jim Turner, and they can come together and figure out something for this offensive line to at least keep Joe Burrow, you know, we saw Joe Burrow go down at one point in yesterday's game when Malik Jackson had that really, you know, dirty hit on him. And it was incredibly dirty. I mean, that was just like, I mean, that's just one, that's just one small time in the season that, I mean, who knows how, how often that's going to happen. I mean, he could get hurt at any time. So it's just like, what do you, what do you think we need to do? Do you think it starts for with firing Zach Taylor and hiring a new head coach? Or do you think it starts with bringing in new pieces? Or what do you, what do you think is the solution for this team? I mean, I think it's tough to tell at this point. I think it's really early to fire Zach Taylor, but I, I would not uh, speak against anybody that says that they think he should because, I mean, it's been a really rough start to the season. You look at the game the other day, and especially going into overtime, it just seemed like every time the Bengals' offense went out there, they really there was no hope because it starts with the offensive line, and it seems like if you can't block up front, then what are you going to do? The run game's not going to happen. Joe Burrow had no more than two and a half seconds to throw the ball. You can't get anything going at that point. And I think you drafted Joe Burrow for moments like Sunday where he's going to drive down the field and he's going to win the game. What he could have done in week one with a couple of, you know, um, unfortunate happenings. But that's why you drafted him. And I think that, that the offensive line is the, exemplifies the whole organization right now and the fact that it, it just it, it wasn't there. And so I think that maybe give it a little more time, but I absolutely see where you're coming from with the fire Zach Taylor thing. I mean, it just seems like nothing is being completely fixed at this point. I think you're. I think Preston, you bring up some several key points there. I want to hit on one that I thought you really uh, hammered home, and that's the fact that Joe Burrow was drafted from moments like yesterday, and you know it, he kind of showed some signs that he, I have no doubt that Joe Burrow can do it. And he almost did it in week one, as you mentioned, the OPI call and all that. I mean, we've already discussed that this season. But you think about yesterday that, you know, the Bengals get the ball first to start. I mean, the drive starts off really well. A.J. Green with a nice catch, Joe Mixon, nice run. And we talked about it before we came on the air. A.J. Green, like you said it, he doesn't have the ability to separate himself from defenders like he did before all his injuries. And it showed on that second down pass, Joe Burrow goes over the middle to A.J. Green. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very smart play. Burrow goes over the middle. And then Darius Slay bats the ball down this right hand. If Joe Burrow, A, throws the ball maybe a little bit more out in front of A.J. Green, he might make the catch. Or B, if A.J. Green is two yards in front of him, that's an easy throw to make. But at the same time, Joe Burrow, he has shown that he is the real deal. Like, I go on Twitter and yesterday and Colin Cowherd and Mike Greenberg, and they are, they are raving about Joe Burrow, that he is the real deal. We, and we know that, but the offensive line is going to get him killed. And it did get him killed yesterday. In the offensive line, Preston, as you alluded to, this is it is the gl- most glaring issue on this team right now. Can we agree on that? It's the I shouldn't even ask that question. That was a stupid question. There's no such thing as a stupid question, but that. <laughs> of course, we can agree on that. Anyway, I mean, this offensive line is horrible. It's horrible. Like, okay, you mentioned that we can't even have the confidence in our offense to do anything because of it. Joe Burrow, like, I have confidence every time our offense goes out there because of Joe Burrow. But it's it's just the offensive line hinders it. Hinders that confidence because they let Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, whoever get in the backfield yesterday, eight sacks. I mean, how many times has he been sacked now this season? He's been sacked 14 times. 
14 times he's been sacked in three games. That's an average of 4.8 sacks a game. It, it is it 4.8 4.6, excuse me, 4.7, whatever. You get the point. And we've been doing this for years now where we can't seem to get offensive line play. There was a great comment yesterday in The Athletic or somewhere that Zach Taylor teams peak in week one losses. Yeah. That was hilarious, by the way. Because <laughs> you think about last year at Seattle and you think about this week against the Chargers. Now, I would argue they, ha- they didn't peak in the Chargers game. There were a lot of things they didn't do well in that game. But yeah. at the same time, like, I mean, Zach Taylor, the one thing that he has going for him this year is Joe Burrow. Because the run game was dormant once again yesterday. Gosh, we're able to give Joe Mixon 20 carries. I mean, he, what do you have yesterday? 17 carries for 49 yards. That's not getting it done. And, by the way, you pay Joe Mixon $48 million in case you forgot. Uh, we, we didn't, but maybe no. Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan did. Uh, no. You have enough of a sample size to understand with a rookie quarterback. And three games is enough. The NFL, is such, the NFL season is such a short season. And the, the games are designed to where you know what you have through three games. And right now, the Bengals have a franchise quarterback who has nothing around him. He's going to be Sam Darnold if this continues. And you're you're seeing with the Jets, what's going on with them? I I mean, I completely agree. And the thing that frustrates me the most is that this defense, I remember in our preview show, I said this defense, especially the defensive line, needs to get after the quarterback because they failed to do that in the first two weeks. Well, Carl Lawson was abusing Jason Peters all game long. I think he finished with two sacks. Sam Hubbard had a sack. Granted, they did have a couple missed sacks that were really big. Um, yeah, yeah. But they put the you know they put the offense in position to score points with the Logan Wilson and uh, Lashawn Sims interception. And the first on the Logan Wilson interception, the drive when the offense came out after that punted away after Lashawn Sims interception, settled for a field goal. And I think that's the biggest thing that really hurt this team because you know the defense is doing everything in their power to put this offense in a chance to win the game for them. And I'm going to go back to the preview show again. I said this team, they need to win this game in the third quarter. And then they had the opportunity to go after that LaShawn Sims interception to go up 27-16. And I don't know, I wouldn't, I don't want to go as far as say that would have put the game away. But I mean, that's a pretty big lead for as much time as there was left. And so, I don't know. It's, it's very frustrating because the I think the defense did step up in a big way. And that's exactly what we needed them to do. But, you know, this offensive line isn't giving Joe Burrow any time and it's also hurting Joe Mixon because when we can't run the ball then we're just relying on Joe Burrow to make all these throws and he's throwing all and then you see how many times he gets hit so then there are just some misplays overall I mean I think that big that T Higgins where Joe Burrow had that crazy spin move and was running out of bounds also I want to bring up Zach Taylor kept yelling throw it away throw it away throw it away I don't know if you heard that on the sideline I I saw that on Twitter earlier today yeah and then he he did that but that, I think that was a big missed opportunity that, with that T. Higgins. I mean, that, I, don't, I, I don't know. It's kind of going to go either way. But the next play was a 41-yard catch and run by Geo. So. Yeah, but that, I mean, that was a big second and 15 play, and it would have gave us a first down with seven minutes left. And that, I mean, I don't know. It's just there's so many missed opportunities in this game that I think really we could have put it away in the late third quarter, early fourth quarter. So, Which, again, it goes, it, it goes back to coaching. It, 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 there's a lack of consistency with Zach Taylor. And we talked about this before we came on. Zach Taylor, I mean, he he's still so naive. He He's never been in a position as a head coach, nor was he in a position, or at least a notable position, of being an offensive or defensive coordinator. 
I mean, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll compare this to the Browns. We talked about, Justin, you and I talked about last week, that the way the Browns game is going to be decided was coaching, right? That's how I just, that's how I viewed the game. You know, Kevin Stefanski, you know, week one, that was a clown show the Browns put up. Okay, you know what? I give the Browns a lot of credit the last two weeks. They played some really, really good football. And uh, it's not the flashiest brand of football, but at the same time, it's winning. They, they, they know what they do best. And Kevin Stefanski, you know, he spent 14 years with the Minnesota Vikings. He was the offensive coordinator in 2019, and their offense was one of the best in the NFL. He had experience. He knew what he was doing, and he has shown it the previous two weeks. Zach Taylor, what was he, the pass game coordinator for the Rams? Quarterbacks coach for the Rams? Seriously. Like, what? And, and then think about the, the coaches who were interviewed. Outside of Eric Bieniemy, the, the Bengals front office interviewed Zach Taylor, Shane Waldron, wide receivers coach for the Rams. What good does that do? Uh, who else is on the, was, was on that list for interviews? Uh, it was, um, it was Vance Joseph. Vance, jo- Vance Joseph, that, that's fine. Defensive coordinator who had been with the organization before. Mm-hmm. I'm, trying think, I'm trying to think of who all the Bengals decided to interview. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it, it, it's just it's just egregious to me how Zach Taylor has had no experience as a coordinator, no experience as a head coach. Well, obviously, obviously that, and and he comes in here expect expecting to do something with this team. No, and now he's been given talent, and he's still not doing it. Mike Brown better understand. Hey, I got my franchise quarterback. I need to get him the right head coach. Which, by the way. My candidates to replace Zach Taylor looked pretty darn good yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you talked about some, maybe looking at some of the bright spots there, Justin. And I would say uh, one of the biggest bright spots for me is that the Bengals could very easily be 0-3 right now, like very easily. And I think that the, the at the end of overtime, the Eagles had a first down on R41, if I'm correct, after that Zach Ertz catch. And, I mean, that could very – I mean, that's – you would expect a field goal out of that on a normal drive. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, it took a little bit of the Eagles kind of fumbling up a little bit and a little bit of good defense, and then that false start at the end on the Eagles was just disastrous for them. And I'm actually surprised they wouldn't kick a kick a field goal there, the Eagles would, Zach, uh, Zach Elliott. If you're going to kick a field goal or, you know, try a Hail Mary there yeah. in that situation, yeah, Philadelphia, I mean, got, I mean, they have a world of issues in that city. But you think about the Bengals yesterday. It's like when one thing went well yesterday, the defense, and you can't and you can't complement that with the offense because the play calling has been so terrible. I mean, what are we doing? We ha- we have talent that's just out there, and yet we're not doing anything with it. This is why coaching matters. I, I was trying to I-, I tweeted yesterday during the game um, that you what what was it? Malik Jackson had that hit on Joe Burrow, and then what was the next play that we ran? Was it? Um, do we do we do we roll out to the right or do we let do we let someone come like completely unblocked at Joe Burrow? I I remember because I remember Ryan Finley came in for one play and then Joe Burrow was out there the next. I can't remember the exact play that got ran. Either way, I mean, like you well, said, I was I was, was going to bring this up because okay, it, it, it's just a it's just the belief that I have that coaching absolutely matters in the NFL. Structure matters, and and, and the guy who tweeted back at me, uh, he he doesn't get it either. Uh, so here, oh, uh, where is it? Um, okay, here's the tweet. So, I said this. So, after seeing your franchise quarterback injured on a play, the offensive line still gets him sacked. Jim Turner, this is your offensive line. That is, if you're paying attention. You had 10 days to shore up this unit, and so far has shown, and so far nothing has shown adjustments made. Someone tweets, about, tweets back at me, what world are you living in? The personnel is what they have, and it's not good. 10 days of practice doesn't fix that. 
I say, really? Then what's the importance of coaching? It's to get the most out of what you have. Then he said, so if what you're saying is true, Andy Dalton would be a Hall of Fame candidate if he just practiced more, right? Okay, first off, you're not even, you're, you're, you're completely missing my point there, buddy. Coaching matters. And Andy Dalton practiced, okay? He took the Bengals to the playoffs five straight years. You're telling me that kid doesn't practice? No. You say, feel however you want about Andy Dalton. He showed up to work. He was a professional, okay? I don't even know why I just spent 30 seconds about Andy Dalton, but okay. Um, well, but my point being this, coaching matters in the NFL. Think about Jared Goff. His first season as head coach was Jeff Fisher, one of the worst head coaches in NFL history. But although, fun fact, he did go to a Super Bowl with the Titans. What have the Rams done ever since they got Sean McVay? Been nothing but successful. Yeah, three winning seasons. Jared Goff has been, I at one point I had him as a top 10 quarterback in the league. Now, he has had his, you know... Workload a bit reduced because the Rams have a strong emphasis on running the football, which I, I think a lot of team, I think all teams should because it's such a great value to success. The Rams know who they are. They're a run first team. Jared Goff feeds off of that and play action. They've got that working. I never thought they would after they released Todd Gurley. So, you know, once Jared Goff got that head coach and Sean McVay, he's been nothing but great. You think about Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyle Shanahan comes in, and look what the Niners are. We were, we were talking about this last week, and, and we keep saying the coaching. You can say, well, coaching doesn't matter. It's the players. Okay? Um, you're telling me that the Patriots with their receiving core last year, I mean, it was horrible. Outside of Edelman, who do they have? Keneal Harry. Who had 15 receptions, by the way. Yeah. yeah I'm, ju- I'm just trying to name, like, guys. Jacoby Myers. Yeah. Some guy named... Some guy with Z's in his last name. I forget who. Yeah. But no, I completely agree with you. Like, he still went 12-4, and four, by the way, and made the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, I just, I completely agree with you. It's like, no matter who you are, no matter how talented you are, it's all going to depend on coaching and schematics. And if you don't have that, then you're not going to be successful. I understand that this Bengals unit is not the most talented unit in the entire NFL, not even in the top half, not even close. But, <laughs> but I mean, they have two first-round picks, but... I think it's I think it's a little bit of an underrated roster to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm just talking about this offensive line. Oh, yeah, no, I'm just talking, okay. I'm just, I'm just talking about the offensive <laughs> line. Yeah, we but that. you can, but it's just like you said, it's about getting the most out of what you have. And I think that if we had you know at least an average offensive line coach that can knew how to get the most out of their offensive line, then this team could easily be sitting at three and zero. I don't even think that's an argument. So, I it's just. Like I said earlier, it starts from the top down, and I think Zach Taylor, he needs to go to Jim Turner. He needs to say either, you know, either you need to step up your game or you're not going to be our head coach anymore, or you're not going to be offensive line coach anymore. So, I mean, I think, I mean, I don't know. Do you think Jim Turner needs to be fired? Yes. I could have told you that last year through the first four games of the season, especially after that, after what happened on Monday Night Football last year, which you were there for, by the way. I feel so bad for you, having, <laughs> yeah. having had gone to yeah. that game. That was bad. He, he needs to go. There's no question about it. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think about... Here's another thing, too, Justin, Preston. Think about this, okay? Didn't it feel like last year the Bengals just went into a game and it's like, all right, we'll see if it works? <laughs> no, I definitely agree. I think they definitely did. They I didn't mean, have an identity. No. I mean, no. They, they never... You never knew, like, it's not like, you know they had talented players, but you never could rely on one guy to have a great game. I mean, maybe Joe Mixon, but you can never rely, oh, you're like, oh, well, they're going to do this. They're going to have this great play action uh, game, or they're going to have this great passing game. 
you know, and, and they never seem to be able to expose the other team's weaknesses. It's just kind of like, oh, well, maybe they'll be good at this today. Oh, well, they ended up not being. So, yeah, you're completely right. They had no identity. I mean, Preston, I'm not sure of how much last season you watched. Like, how similar from last year to this year do you think it's been? Or do you think it's, you know, what, what, what what's your comparison? The identity thing, I think, is a big thing. And when you look at having an identity, that's something that's very important, especially for an offense, um, especially in the NFL. And when you look at having an identity, that all starts with the offensive line, especially. Because if you're going to choose one thing to just be atrocious on your team, the last thing you're probably going to choose is an offensive line. Because that just your whole offense just runs through that. And especially with a young quarterback who has the – who is a, if he's as good as everybody thinks he might be, then he's incredible. And Joe Burrow, you want to protect him. And at the same time, you know, he's, he's out here, he's getting stuff done in the passing game. But at what cost? I mean, he's taking all these hits. And then it's hard to run in the run game with this offensive line. So I think that the Bengals finally are starting to get an identity. It's just hard to solidify one with this offensive line that they have now. I mean, I don't know like what their identity would be if you're going to drop Joe Burrow back 45 to 60 times a game, which then again, maybe you are. I'm not saying, you know, that's not a bad identity to have. You're going to be a pass first offense, which I, I guess has its benefits to it. Kansas City has had great success with that. Um, Seattle, you're seeing what they can do uh, with Russell. You're seeing what they are with Russell Wilson, who played absolutely out of his mind yesterday. Um, I, I do think, Preston, you, hit, you bring up a great point with the offensive line. If the offensive line is solid, like, we see teams, like, I think about Las Vegas. You know, they struggled offensively yesterday against New England, but they can make adjustments, and they can actually put those into fruition and work in their next game against the Bills because their offensive line is very, very solid. Your offense can't do anything if the offensive line doesn't allow you to do that. Like you think about, you know, Dallas. They can do so much offensively because their offensive line is is so solid. You think about the Ravens. You think about um, New England. You think about, I mean, any great team. Any uh, Pittsburgh for years has had great offensive line play. You know, if you have, if you have the most important unit on any football team is the offensive line, protecting your quarterback the leader of the offense, which dictates the game, whether good or bad, and allows the offense to do what it hopes to do. That's why That's why it's so critical to have a strong offensive line. And the Bengals haven't had that for several years now. And the thing is, there is talent. We talk about this team establishing an identity. I think the identity they want to establish, and Dan Hort alluded to this before the Thursday night game a week and a half ago, is that they want to give the ball to Joe Mixon and you know feed and have Joe Burrow feed off of that. Now, Joe Burrow, a silver lining into, into these last two games, is that he has shown that he does not necessarily need Joe Mixon to take the load off him. He can throw the ball 61 times a game and give the Bengals a chance to win the game. That's incredible. The franchise quarterback has been figured out. But you now need to do everything in your power to... to, to and you can say... Look, I watched Jacksonville on Thursday night. Their defense is not very good. <laughs> Up front, they can't stop you at the point of attack. So you should have success on, at least I hope they do on Sunday, whether it's running the football, throwing with Joe Burrow, whatever it may be. Excuse me. But, again, the offensive line is so important in this case, and that's why, of course, Jim Turner needs to go. Yeah. And Zach Taylor, yes. You know, because your coaching staff is assembled by the head coach. Zach Taylor has assembled a poor coaching staff. Mm-hmm. I mean, who name one assistant coach 
or positions coach who is at least serviceable. I I couldn't name one. I mean, Nick we're, Eason. We were talking about this before the show. Like I was asking like about Brian Callahan, and we were just both like, "What does he even do?" You know, because Zach Taylor is the one calling the shots. I mean, he's just like a consultant for Zach Taylor at this point. I mean, I feel and like that one. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like I don't know. I mean, this offense they have all the weapons that they need, but I mean, if you don't get any push up front, then and like I want to go back to the Raiders. Like how we were talking about the. Um, Who's at the Raiders and the and the Cowboys? Like they both have good offensive lines, and but they were able to stay competitive in pretty tough games against the, um, you know, like Las Vegas beat the Saints on Monday Night Football. Like that's, I mean, and the Saints are arguably one of the better teams in the last you know several years. And then, but the Raiders defense and the Dallas defense are both not very good, but they're both able to stay competitive and win some of these games. You know, Dallas was able to stay competitive with Seattle for I think what was the final score thirty five thirty. Yeah, Dallas had the ball in Seattle territory with the chance at the end to tie the game. Yeah, and, and like Seattle's defensive line is no like is not you know uh, the steel curtain or anything like that, but still. So, <laughs> um, but I know we talked a lot about the offensive line already, and you know we kind of did our own ranting about the game. But one of the biggest things that I noticed on Sunday was the progression of T. Higgins, and I think mm. just like everyone said. That, you know, T. Higgins' favorite receiver has always been A.J. Green. But to me, he looks like his successor. I, we were talking about this before the game. A.J. Green just does not have that same step that he used to. You look at that third and four and that slant route in overtime, and he just could not separate. Granted, Darius Slay is one of the better cornerbacks in the NFL. But A.J. Green has lost a step. They drafted T. Higgins in the first pick of the second round for a reason. He has that. I mean, he had two touchdowns. And he had, and he would have had more if he, or he would have had, you know, more yards had he stayed in bounds on that one play. And then he also had that uh, broken pass uh, in overtime. But I think he played really well, and Tyler Boyd played the wide receiver one. But I think right now T. Higgins is wide receiver two. Do you think that he's wide receiver two, or do you think A.J. Green is still kind of penciled in in that spot? Preston? I mean, I think that you'll kind of have – we'll see as we go here a little bit. I think that obviously – I think in week one, I mean, A.J. Green was the go-to for Joe Burrow. And then last week, you know, it's kind of transitioned more into Tyler Boyd especially with you know 10 receptions the other day and 125 yards. And then T. Higgins, I think that we'll find out here real shortly. And I'd like to see, you know, if A.J. Green has fully lost that or if, you know, it's just kind of more of a, you know, he was out for a couple seasons, here he comes back, and maybe he'll kind of get it back as he goes. Um, or if he truly has, you know, digressed a little bit, maybe it's age, maybe it's the injuries. Um, and then it'd be T. Higgins to be the number two receiver. And, yeah, I think he's been very um, impressive, you know. And, I mean, I think that uh, – I think that that's a very big bright spot, especially with a young quarterback and a young, uh, bright receiver. And I mean, like I've, I said before, I mean at Clemson he was a he was a dog at Clemson. I mean he was getting all this stuff done. And I thought that I was kind of surprised. I mean not surprised, but I could have very well seen him been a first round pick, um, and then you know got him early in the second uh, round. So I think that T Higgins could very easily be the wide receiver too here real shortly. And this goes back to the fact that this season you're gonna. The Bengals are going to have decisions to make based on what transpires on the field. Because A.J. Green is playing on the franchise tag. He doesn't have a contract extension. The only receiver who does is Tyler Boyd. And he just extended Joe Mixon. If T. Higgins continues to do what he's done so far this season, yesterday was his breakout game, five catches for 50 yards and two touchdowns. And the thing about it is it's like the two touchdowns, they, they were like inside the five-yard line. 
So we haven't, we haven't really seen the full T. Higgins yet. Now, if he had made that catch in overtime, I would tell you, heck yeah, uh, he's your wide receiver too. But there's potential there. And A.J. Green has not had a bad start to the season. What were his numbers from yesterday? Five catches for 36 yards. Yeah, it's not. How many targets? Uh, six. Not terrible. He's still got five of his six targets. Yeah. I mean, he admits he's still a little bit rusty, but I mean... Yesterday, there's no excuse. If you say you're still rusty after yesterday, that's an excuse. I, I, at that point in, in the season, you're three games in. But to what Preston was saying, like, I mean, if T. Higgins continues to do what he's been doing, and I think the Bengals give him an opportunity because you, you drafted him in the second round for a reason. You need that, you know, if he, if he is the successor to A.J. Green. And you can't be stubborn here if you're Mike Brown. You have to be logical and think, okay, What's going to work for our our organization down the road? Joe Burrow has been answered. The quarterback's been answered. Okay. Now you got to figure out, okay, Tyler Boyd's my wide receiver one. Who's my wide receiver two? And then do you keep John Ross? Do you keep Auden Tate? Whomever. These are very, very important decisions. That's why this season, I'm not putting so much of an onus on, okay, are the Bengals going to make the playoffs? I, I, I easily say no right now. I don't know why I thought they could earlier this season. That was a pipe dream. Excuse me. But what this season is, is a stepping stone to, okay, we know that we can be comp- competitive. Now we just got to figure out, okay, who are the guys that are going to help us win? By the way, one concern for me going into the season was forcing turnovers. Okay, how about three, tur- how about three interceptions in the last two games? Isn't that good? No, for definitely for sure. I think the big thing was like I mean Darius Phillips had four interceptions last year, but he has not played very well at all to begin to start the season. And so I think after William Jackson right now we're kind of I mean Mackenzie Alexander, he's played, you know, average ball let's say I mean at least to start the season, but then you have guys like LaShawn Sims who I mean came in and had an interception. I think that puts Darius Phillips on the bench would be my guess. I mean going into week 4, but I mean, we're. I mean, I guess you could say we're having success with kind of like an unproven cornerback uh, room. I mean, Mackenzie Alexander has had a decent start to, like, or he's had a good career, obviously. Like, so we know what he is. But like with Trey, Trey Wayne's out. Sorry, I'm trying to like talk really fast. But no, I definitely agree. Forcing turnovers is a big thing, and so, I mean, it's. But the biggest thing is. If, scoring points off of those turnovers i mean we can get the turnovers as much as we want but that doesn't mean anything if we're not capitalizing off of them yeah and like it goes back to you know the fact that the Bengals are creating momentum for themselves but they're not capitalizing off of it it's just a matter of putting it all together and they just haven't done that yet now i mean think about it if if, if you come away with that win yesterday you're feeling really good going into week four and then you can go into baltimore with as much house money as you want but you, you know we talk about you know the interception you know the momentum's completely now on your side. Carson Wentz has just thrown a second pick. I mean, uh, there, there, there's booze from the cardboard cutouts in Philadelphia, which is hilarious, by the way. Hmm. And you, you, you muster three points on that drive, which that's not, that's not all that great. Okay. And then you get the ball back with 11 minutes left. My thinking is, okay, seven-minute drive, get a touchdown, you're up 11, and just hold on. But no. And then on the final defensive possession of regulation, you have all these penalties. I mean, think about it. We gave them 30 yards on two pass interference calls. Now, I would argue both of them were not pass interference, but that's a story for another day. And then you let them convert two or three third downs, and they ultimately get a touchdown and tie the game. Like, you, you, it, it's, just, it's just mind-boggling to me that when one good thing happens, it's not taken advantage of. Like, 
if you know t- we're not a very opportunistic team. And the thing is, the the Bengals have been in years past. 2015, very opportunistic team. Even in the first half of 2018, you think about um, the Miami game. You're down four. You're down 17, and then you you get a series of of uh, bounces of the ball your way, and you rally to win that game by 10. So it's just a matter of you know when one thing bounces your way, turn that into three, four, five good things that can happen, and then you're going to win some games in this league. But the Bengals didn't do that yesterday. They, they let the Eagles hang around. And quite frankly, Philadelphia is not a good team. Bad team, when you let a bad team hang around, bad things can happen. Absolutely, and I think that obviously outside of a couple things, I think the defense did everything it needed to do to win the game. I think that they, they put us in multiple great situations um, with the interceptions, and then obviously at the end they – they stopped for us. They stopped us from losing the game at the end, at, at least. Um, and then, if you remember, like in the in the very beginning of overtime, uh, Jesse Bates was a slip away from an interception. They're like inside their thirty yard line or somewhere around that area. So that would also have been huge. And I mean, the, I think the defense, especially the bounce back from just being absolutely embarrassed on Thursday night football last week <laughs> to this week, being able to it wasn't an amazing performance by any means, but it was it was definitely a good performance. And like I said, I think that they put the Eagles, I mean the Bengals, in a chance to win the game multiple times. Yeah, and it just, you know, it goes back to when one thing gets figured out, there's still some glaring issues. And if the Bengals come away with that win yesterday, you're, you're feeling really good about the direction this team is going. And I still think you can actually feel that way. Like, you know, can we say that the Bengals are going to beat Jacksonville rather handily? Uh, I, that's... I don't know. But, I mean, that's something we'll Would have to Would you feel about, good about this team if they did? I, I mean, like, Jacksonville, it was, it's... I don't want to get into too much into Jacksonville, but, like, I mean, they started the year off well. They beat the Colts, and they, you know, they nearly beat the Titans, and then they had that horrific performance against the Dolphins. So I'm not really sure how to feel about the Jaguars going to this game because I don't know if they're going to be that great team. I wouldn't say great, but, you know, like, team that played really well the first two weeks or if they're going to be that team that got blown out by the Dolphins in week three. So I'm not really sure. And then like this Bengals team, I mean, it's just like it's just like we're so close. And I think DJ Reader said in his uh, press conference today that they're just like so close. And he said they have the guys in the locker room. He says they know he knows what they have in the locker room. He says he knows how good the guys in the locker room are and how close they are. But it's just like as close as you may be, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to translate it to wins. Because look at our point dif- differential this year. Was it minus eight? I mean, you're so close in all these games, but it's just it's just like the same thing. In the last few years, I mean, we can't capitalize off we can't capitalize off these turnovers. We can't capitalize on the momentum that we have, and so going into Jacksonville, like I would have, I would feel a lot better. I would say, oh, that should be a win had we won this last game. But I mean, right now, I'm just like, I really don't know because we should beat them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to. No, and what what should happen doesn't always happen here in Cincinnati, but I think that it's a very winnable game. Um, and you think about... lost my train of thought there for a minute with what you were saying, just about... Anyway, look, as Preston, you said, the defense did play, you know, at least competent yesterday. That, that it, it was overall a solid performance defensively. Now, Philadelphia did, did have their moments offensively, but you think about... Several times you hold the Eagles to field goals or, you know, they're driving down the field. I remember at the start of the, at the second half, they have the ball first. 
they go down right away, and you're thinking, oh, and you're thinking, oh Lord, this could be twenty to ten. No, you you hold the Eagles at their thirty at the Bengals like forty yard line. And Jake Elliott just so happened to make a long field goal. Remember when we uh, had Jake Elliott in training camp and we <laughs> cut him? Yeah, I do remember that. He was a draft pick. We drafted him, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, fifth round draft pick out of Memphis, and uh, ultimately that didn't. Uh, we decided, nah. Yeah, he goes to the Super Bowl winning Philadelphia Eagles. And I remember the first, like, slap in the face moment was when he made that 61 yarder to beat the Giants. Yeah. In week three of that year. So, again, like, look, there, there are a lot of things that this Bengals team has as far as talent, but they just haven't put it all together yet. And it's just a matter of when you're going to start to do that. Now, the Bengals are three point favorites against Jacksonville this week at home, but, I mean, look, can we? I mean, I can't definitively say they're going to win the game. I like to think they will, but. At the same time, like it, 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 it just goes back to, you know, when when you're given something in life, take advantage of it. And the Bengals just simply, you know, and and here's the other thing too. This is what I was gonna say. We talk about this locker room being so close. That's fine. That, that's great. But on the flip side, you can say, okay, where's the accountability? Sometimes teams that have divided locker rooms actually end up thriving. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, it's just like you have a good mix of like. I think veterans and young guys, because you think about our linebacking group, I mean, it's three guys who are rookies and one who's a second year guy, and then you have a veteran in Josh Bynes, and then you think about the defensive line group, you have young guys like Christian Kime. I mean, DJ Reader's not old by any means, but he's had some, you know, some, he's been in the league for a while, and you have like guys like Christian Covington, Mike Daniels has been in the league for a while, and you have guys like Sam Hubbard and Carl Lawson who have only been in the league for a couple years, so it, it is a good mix. And you're right that it can sometimes they'll thrive when there's differences because they learn from each other and the younger guys will bring something new and the older guys, you know, you know what you get from them. So I, I, I don't know. It's, I, it's hard to say, but like, I think definitely this defense has the talent to win some of these games. But I'll, thinking about it, like we were talking about earlier, if the Browns go into Cleveland or if the Browns, sorry, if the Browns go into Dallas and they beat them this upcoming week. How do we feel about this team? Because, I mean, it was a 35-30 game that we lost, but do we feel better maybe? I mean, we hung around with the Chargers, or we lost to the Chargers, and then they hung around with the Chiefs, and then they lost to the Panthers. So they're kind of an up-and-down team. Browns let the uh, Washington hang around. So I'm just not really sure yet how the teams that we have faced will finish because right now they don't look like they've had the teams that they have played have been very good. Philly is going to be is going to be around 500 and yet they might end up going to the playoffs because that the division is so bad. that division is a clown show. I mean my goodness. I mean the Giants at 0 and 3 are a game back of first place. I'll put it to you that way and they stink. The Giants. Yeah. My lord, they stink. The Jets wish they could be in the NFC East. They're in the AFC East. Different story. Um, the Chargers... I don't want to say it's a horrible loss to Carolina yesterday. Because I, I do think Carolina has some talent on that team. Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains under Matt Rule. They don't have an identity yet. But that's not a horrible loss. And they just let Kansas City hang around. Justin Herbert is the, is the answer at quarterback. Mm-hmm. The Browns, I mean, I like I said, I give them a lot of credit for what they did yesterday. They... They know who they are offensively. And look, I feel happy for fans, and too bad they can't you know, be, all be at the stadium for these games, but I feel really happy for their fans that their team now, they have an identity. Like, it would not shock me if they go into Dallas and win. And then the, I mean, the Eagles, 
like I said, they're a different story. But at the same time, the teams that we faced, they're not bad teams. Cleveland, I think, I can't believe I'm saying this, is the best of the three of them. Um, but, again, that this is not a bad Bengals team. They just can't take advantage of opportunities. This is now the second time, and this is now the second time in three games where you have an opportunity up four late in the game to put the nail in the coffin, and you have not done that yet. If you seize any small piece of momentum in the NFL, that might be that sometimes is all you need. Yeah. With this with this young team, I mean new team, young quarterback, young skill players, uh, and that in some areas, a bunch of different new guys. I think that the the it's going to be the getting over the hump is getting the first win, and then after that maybe they can start rolling a little bit. But I think that first one is going to be the most toughest win. And then you said, Justin, something about, you know, really finding out about our competition, about who we played. And I think this week is going to be very uh, – it's really going to be telling. Between the uh, Browns playing the Cowboys, and I believe the, the Eagles play the 49ers. So maybe we'll see um, if, if they were the team that we thought maybe they were at the beginning of the season. And then the Chargers played the Buccaneers. So I think that this week is definitely going to tell us a lot about who we played – um, and puts us. It'll really tell us more about where we are at. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, with uh, with the Bengals playing the Jaguars, I mean, that's a game where if you win that game, you're still not 100 percent sure. But if you lose, you know where you're at. So if you lose you to know, Jacksonville, the yeah. season's over. And then you're really, and then we're really gonna start calling for Zach Taylor to be fired. But like, we need some momentum to you know talk about on this show because we keep talking about the questions. If you win next Sunday, you know, okay, you have some momentum. They're not going to beat the Ravens in Baltimore. Now, if they do, holy smokes, then we can really start getting going. But, yeah. no, then we can talk about, okay, it's an important game. How can we contain Lamar Jackson, or how can the Bengals contain contain Lamar Jackson and the Ravens? But let me tell you, again, this coaching staff simply doesn't know how to coach. And there's too much talent on this team. This is not a well-coached team. How many times last year did you look on the field defensively, and you're like, who's lined up at linebacker? I mean, what, they have, like, seven guys in the secondary? What's that called? Uh, 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 dime, coal, package, combined nickel and dime? I <laughs> <Yeah>. mean, <laughs> I, I have no idea. But the same, I mean, look, we, we can, I can say the same things over and over again at the same time. Like, like you said, Preston, like, we're going to know, okay, are the results that we've gotten so far justifiable? Look, I think the Chargers game, eh, that's the first game. You're not really going to pay too much attention to it. The Browns game, look, I mean... Cleveland is a very, very good run team because they just shredded the best defensive line in football yesterday. Potentially the best defensive defensive line football in Washington. So you're seeing that maybe the teams we're playing are who they are. And I I think for the most part, they're solid. Philadelphia, even Philadelphia, like they have talent. They just can't stay healthy. Yeah. I was, Colin Coward was saying earlier today, like Philadelphia's wide receivers and offensive line, they cannot stay healthy. No. And you think about think about this too, okay? When we think about teams in cursed cities and teams who have curses surrounding them, Philadelphia, like yeah, they won a Super Bowl. They they got that you know huge monkey off their back. What have they done since then? Exactly. What have they done since then? They've gone nine and seven in back to back years, and now yeah. they're zero two and one. Should be zero and three. Yeah, and like I want to talk a little about momentum, like going to this week. It's, it's just hard because you want to say, like, oh, if the Bengals win this game, then maybe they can get a little bit more momentum. But then they go into Baltimore, and you can basically pencil that in as a loss. So it's like how you get that momentum from that first win or whatever. But, like, 
how depleting is it once you get that first win and then you're probably going to most likely get blown out by a Lamar Jackson-led Ravens team. But looking ahead at their schedule, like you look at the schedule and right after the Ravens game, it's at Colts, which is a winnable game. The Colts, I mean, they destroy the Jets, but then again, I think any team, most teams in the NFL would just probably destroy the Jets right now. At home versus the Browns, which depending on if they can, uh, I mean, I'm not sure about that one, but those are winnable games. So if they can win three out of the four, what would they be sitting at? Uh, three, three, and one. Three, three, and one. Then you're feeling okay. Yeah, and then maybe not playoff worthy, but oh no, but just you know, just getting some, you know, just getting some confidence for Joe Burrow going to the second half of the season. Then you play Washington at Washington, which is, I mean, with that defensive line we were just talking about, who knows what would happen? Home versus Giants at Dolphins, and that's a stretch of three games in a row that you think are three very winnable games. But I saw this question posed on Twitter yesterday. It's like. If the Bengals lose next Sunday, obviously no team is going to come out and say that they're tanking. But do you think that we should just, you know, look forward to next season already? And no, no, no. Because 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 who are, who who are you going to get in the draft? Panay Sewell, Oregon offensive tackle. If you're going to tank for Panay Sewell, really? I mean, he's the best offensive tackle prospect in the draft. Okay, why aren't we going to trade someone then? I mean, trade I, trade for an offensive lineman. Okay, here's the thing: if the Bengals win those three out of four games that you just mentioned. Could we actually trade for an offensive lineman at the trade deadline? If we feel if they if they feel like the Bengals feel like they are contenders. That's that's a thing that like I've seen a lot of people talk about is like with all the money that we spent this offseason and all of the acquisitions, like, is that just gonna be a one time thing or is that gonna be a thing for this team moving forward for the rest of the years? Cause it's like I don't know if it was just like, oh, well, we're going to get Joe Burrow and we want to give him a good team around him. Or is it just like, well, we have Joe Burrow now and we have these guys that we acquired. So there's no point in making any more big trades or whatever, just like how it's been for the entire, you know, no. organization's history. And that, that shows and that shows the organization that Dennis, like they figure out one glaring weakness. OK, fine. But, you know, they address the defense in free agency. Great. But the offensive line was left to just basically uh, whatever. Rot. And it has. Yeah, yeah. I think that you you asked you know if we lose this week should we tank and I mean I think that if if they lose this week I don't even know if we're gonna have to tank I think that we're probably gonna end up high on the board anyways. But yeah. If we win this, if the Bengals were to win this week and you know said something about going into the play the Baltimore, play Baltimore, now I'm not saying that the Bengals really stand much of a chance of winning. I mean you know crazy things happen, but the Bengals will go into that game with nothing to lose. You know coming off a win against one of the worst teams in the league, nothing to lose. Nobody in the league think that start, thinks that they're gonna win. And even if the Bengals weren't to win, but they were to play with them, you know, even for three quarters, even to just gain some respect, I think that that says a lot, too. So I think that this week is very pivotal. And then, yeah, I mean, I think if you were able to go into the Baltimore and just gain, earn respect, you know, earn respect. Now, obviously, Joe Burrow, everybody knows him, but everybody, just across the board, you know, if they were able to earn respect in that game, I think that would be huge. And I think it starts with this week. And then yes, if they were to lose, I would say. <laughs> well, every every, every every game is pivotal because you know you, you just gotta get on the right foot. Like this team started zero and eleven last year. Now, if you win, if you win in week four this year, that'll maybe give me some confidence. I, I shouldn't even say some confidence. Maybe like an inkling of confidence in the coaching staff because, I mean, let's face it, they, they should be Jacksonville. Jacksonville on paper does not have a very good roster. They they simply don't. I mean, they traded away their their best offensive player, their best defensive player. How they're one and two, and have looked pretty competitive through the first three weeks of the season outside of Thursday night. I don't know. Maybe they have coaching Doug Marone, who, uh, eh, I'm not really sure how I feel about Doug Marone, although he, although he was 
10 minutes away from a Super Bowl berth three years ago. Can't believe I'm, can't believe it's been that long. But <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, and you, you, you guys, you Preston alluded to it, like, you know, just get some confidence. I don't think Joe Burrow needs the confidence. It's more so the team, it's the fan base, because look, I mean, we're entering a, a, a crucial stretch. The, the, the last five games leading into the bye week, if you can win three of those games, you'd be three, four, and one. Look, I'm not saying I'm not going to even look at that and say, okay, how does that how does that measure as far as eventually getting a playoff berth? I'm looking at it. Okay, are results being produced on the field? And by results, I mean win- I do mean wins, but I'm not talking about do they correlate to you know chances of making the playoffs? Yeah, and you look at the division. You think there's? I mean, more than likely we'll finish fourth place in the division this year, judging by how the Ravens, Steelers, and Browns have started the season. But as long as I just want to get some momentum going to the end of the year, as long as we can win, maybe I mean, if we can string together a couple good games in the middle of the season, and then more toward the end of the year, we can beat the Steelers on Monday Night Football. I mean, think about how huge that would be. I mean, I'm not sure how the season is going to lead up to that game, but think about end of the year, beat the Steelers Monday Night Football, and then maybe even the last game of the year against the Ravens. I mean, more than likely they'll probably already be in a playoff spot, and who knows? But it's just about confidence at this point. I mean, like you said, I don't think Joe Burrow needs a confidence, but this fan base just needs something to go off of because it's been such a struggle the last few years to even get this fan base exhilarated about games because, I mean, it's just been the same old, same old. So I just want, yeah. I, I mean, I just think that this team needs to come together, win a, you know, string together a few good games that we can say, wow, this team played well, and they need to beat the teams. I think more importantly, beat the teams that we know that they can. If they, I mean, like if they can't beat teams like the Giants, they can't beat the Dolphins. Then I mean, I really don't know what the direction of this franchise is at that point. And that's the thing too. We talk about an identity, not knowing what this team's identity is. We don't know. We don't know which direction this team is going. Like, you think about organizations in the NFL, New England. They could have easily tanked the season. Oh no, the direction they're going, contention, and it's been that way for twenty years. You think about Cleveland. They're going in an upward direction. You think about. Uh, Baltimore has been on an upward direction for years. By the way, can I just say right now that the Steelers-Ravens games this year could be really good? Yeah, they could. Yeah. And think about this. Lamar Jackson has only faced the Steelers one time in his career. Really? One time. It was week five of last year in Pittsburgh because the Ravens, they rested Lamar in the last game of the regular season. Oh, that was the game Mason Rudolph got hurt. That was the game, yeah, that was the game where he got obliterated in that game. Yeah. Who was that? Was that Earl Thomas? I think it was Earl Thomas, yeah. yeah. Speaking, probably going to sign with the Texans here either today or tomorrow. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Not to, not to, sorry, I was just bringing that up. Would, would love to face him again. I just thought about Earl Thomas. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think the Ravens are easily... I mean, that, those games will be really good. The Steelers, I mean, they're 3-0. They beat, I mean, they beat the Texans, who have had a slow start to the year, but... Every team they've beaten is 0-3, but at the same time, I think the Texans' win was a good win because they gave them, you know, some troubles early on, and they overcame a double-digit deficit, and they didn't have Heinz Field to rally to, you know, to help them rally to rally around. And now, I mean, by the way, Week Four Steelers at the Titans, whew, sign me up for that game. Yeah, that should be a really good game. And those are just examples of great, greatly run organizations, teams that have made. I mean, you think about last year, you think about when the Steelers were struggling, and then they go out and trade for Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, 
Don't you just wish that the Bengals could make a move like that during the middle of the season? And that they, was when the Steelers were 0-2 when they did this. Yeah. I mean, they recognize their weakness. They recognize that they have a glaring need at a position, and they go out and get it. And it's like, you think about, I mean, it was in the offseason, but the 49ers, they had just got off the Super Bowl, and they go out and trade for Trent Williams because they recognize Joe Staley just retired. Mm-hmm. We need someone opposite Mike McGlinchey. And now they're 3-0, right? Or Well, they're 2-1. They're 2-1, two and one, two and but, one, but, sorry. But they look really good. Yeah, and they, I mean, they destroyed the Giants with a team that basically is missing like 10 starters. You know, I mean, they just destroyed them. They, I mean, they yeah. they outgained them by almost 200 yards. Yeah, yeah. So, and to your point, like this is this is what makes organizations great is their ability to know. Okay, who do we need? You know, you, you figure. Okay, what's our weakness? What's another example? Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of who is it. I'm trying to think. Of what's a great example? Like New England constantly does this. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia did it with Golden Tate in 2018. Uh, the Saints. They did it in 20... Did they do it? The Niners did it last year. They're like, hmm, we don't have a wide receiver. Emmanuel Sanders comes in. It completely changes that offense. Yeah. It, it, it just baffles me how teams do this so effortlessly because it should be second nature for an organization to just do that. And the Bengals don't do it. Like, what are we afraid of here? I think that says a lot about an organization. I feel like an organization that can change and, you know, make a move, it's kind of like a coaching staff that can change a halftime or not even just halftime, make adjustments in the middle of a game. I think that is the best way to tell what kind of coaching staff you have and the best way to tell what kind of organization you have. And so if the Bengals are able to kind of make a couple moves or just one move, make them do something, just help a little bit, I think that would say a lot to the front office. Rigidity does not work in the NFL. Mm -hmm. You can have, you know... A system of coaching. New England's done it, and New England did it, and they, and they won six Super Bowls with it. But no, the NFL is an ever-changing league. You either change with it, or you suffer because of it. And it feels like Mike Brown is stuck in the Paul Brown days, almost. Like, it's like... And, I mean, it was just so funny this offseason, because we're like, are we seeing the Mike Brown, like... You know, are we seeing the new revolution, basically, kind of? We're just seeing, like, the whole new wave of, you know, ideas and thoughts and... You know, like people basically in the Bengals organization changing their minds and deciding to go out and spend big money. But I mean, to me right now, it's just like we did all the right things in the offseason, but we haven't done enough to put this team in a winning position. Because if we did, if we really, if we really understood and recognized our glaring weaknesses, we would have a different tackle than Bobby Hart right now. We would have, we would have either Hakeem. And it's, I mean, that's not necessarily the front office, but like we would have Hakeem Adeniji starting because it's just like, you have to recognize that what you're doing right now is not working. No. And, and and by the time we do, it's too late. Yeah. I mean, you think about, like, last year, like, Fred Johnson came in at right tackle, and he played well, but it's just like, okay, he came in, but we're already way out of playoff contention, so it's like, what's the point? Not saying that just a different right tackle would have changed the whole direction of this franchise, but, I mean, just yeah. I mean, just something. And think about what the Ravens did when they put in Lamar Jackson against the Bengals two two years ago. They sensed it at the exact right time. And the Ravens have been the best team in football ever since. That's all we got? Yeah. Any closing thoughts? All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. This is the BearCast Media Bengals Recap Show. I am Justin Cashman. He is Preston Stober. He is Alex Frank. We will talk to you guys on Friday.